have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, and also the Gospel of Luke. Um, I'm going to read just a couple verses of Scripture this morning and continue in the series uh, that I began a few weeks ago. So actually, I just let you be seated, but I'm going to ask you to stand one more time while we read the Word this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, if you don't have your Bibles, Jordo's uh, going to have it on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, say people, people. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. Say place. Today I want to preach to you the second message in this series. We're talking about beneath the surface. What, not, what lies beneath the surface of our church, but also in our walk with Christ. And today we're going to talk about people and place. One more time, would you pray with me and for me? Father, we thank you for everything that's taken place in this service thus far today. We pray you would anoint your word, anoint every ear to hear, every heart to receive. Remove every distraction today, Lord, so that we could hear your word. And we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. I'm going to talk quickly today. Uh, we began this series a couple weeks ago, and last Sunday was Mother's Day. We had a special guest speaker, uh, Sister Sue Woodruff. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back and watch it. She delivered a phenomenal Mother's Day message, so we paused this series, and today we're going back into it. But I told you a week before last that in our walk with Christ, it is absolutely essential for us to go farther than just surface deep. We must be deeply rooted in our faith, and we must know exactly what those roots are. So we began a close examination of the core values that are under the surface of this church, and they should also be the foundation of our very lives. When you exit the building today, you'll see them uh, displayed on clear acrylics on the wall in the lobby. But these, are, these core values are just like the roots of a tree. They lie beneath the surface, and Trevor depicted so well my vision for this sermon series when he made these slides. The, the roots lie beneath the surface. They're often overlooked. They are seldom talked about, but they are necessary to sustain life. They're necessary to produce fruit. They're necessary to aid and assist in movement. They're necessary to anchor us during the times of storm, and they're necessary to keep us alive in dry weather, uh, in drought times. And so our root system here are, is eight things, and here they are. First of all, presence over performance. We will pursue the presence of God in our worship, not the performance of men. Encounter over entertainment. We'll strive to lead others into a genuine encounter with the Holy Spirit, not to entertain them. Intimacy over industry. We'll lead others into an intimate relationship with Jesus, not to make a name or a profit for ourselves. Purpose over programs. We'll focus on God's calling and His purpose for our lives rather than the programs that we offer. Servanthood over status. We will humbly serve others just like Jesus did, not obtaining status and positions of authority with men. Pleasing God over pleasing man. Watch this. Our goal is not to make the church happy, but to make it holy. When the church is holy, then God is happy. 
Kingdom growth over church growth. Jesus has called us to win the lost. And when we grow the kingdom of God, he will build his church. I believe these things in this sermon series will help you. Maybe you're a guest of a graduate here today. And you can take these back to your home church and apply them. Last but not least, Jesus over everything. Jesus will always be the central focus of every single thing we do. Say amen, somebody. In order to maintain these core values, we, we must focus on some things. So to make it simple for this sermon series, I came up with eight words that all begin with the letter P to focus on these eight core values. And those words are praise and purpose. We talked about those last week. People and place. That's what we're going to talk about today. Prayer and Pentecost. We'll talk about that next week. And then two weeks from today, we'll talk about presence and preaching. And week before last, I told you that we must stay rooted to praise and to purpose. Our victory and our plunder. What is our plunder? That's taken back everything from the enemy that he may have stolen from us. Our victory, our plunder, and our peace are directly linked to our willingness to an involvement in praise. Now listen, praise, you can worship the Lord without opening your mouth, but if you're going to praise the Lord, you got to open your mouth and let your praise out. That's why the psalmist said, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. Now purpose is what keeps us moving in the right direction. It keeps us all on the same page. And it's also what we must help you find and discover in, li in your life in order for all of us to corporately fulfill our purpose. If you find your purpose, it will not only change your life, but it will likely cause God's church to blossom and to succeed and change the lives of countless others around you. So today, I want us to look at the next two roots that we draw from. Those are people and place. Everybody say people. For those of you that don't like people, you're about to get uncomfortable. People. Five times in the Gospel of Matthew, four times in the Gospel of Mark, and three times in the Gospel of Luke, we are told that either Jesus was moved by compassion or he told a parable where a character in the story that represented God or Jesus was moved on by compassion. Jesus was moved by people. In fact, when you stop and think about the ministry of Jesus, you can summarize his ministry by saying that he was moved by people, that he took time for people, that he touched people, that he healed people, and that ultimately he died on that cross for people. His ministry was rooted in and grounded in people. He was surrounded by people. Watch this. He was hurt by people. Are you with me this morning? He was spit on by people. He was interrupted by people. He was betrayed by people. But yet through all of those things, Jesus remained rooted to people. And we too must stay rooted in and focused on people. We're to stay rooted to each other. I've already told you uh, what our responsibilities are to each other. And we should guard and protect and we should uplift and encourage and assist with the burdens, yes, of those inside these walls, but what about the people out there? We must stay rooted to a Jesus kind of life. 
And that kind of life is a life that was rooted and grounded in people. It didn't matter how many times he was hurt by people or betrayed by people. He did not allow himself to become numb and isolated from people. Because people is what he died for. Say amen, somebody. Imperfect people. We're all imperfect people. So I want to ask you a few questions this morning about people. Five questions. First of all, are you moved by people? When was the last time that you were moved by compassion for the misfortune of somebody else? When were you moved to tears when you saw the hurt and the struggle of somebody else? When were you moved to more than just sympathy but to take action? See, Jesus didn't just see the pain and feel bad because of it. He had compassion on others, which is not only a deep awareness of suffering, but it's also a desire to relieve that suffering. In fact, one of the Greek words used for compassion, which wasn't even used in Scripture until Jesus began to use it, actually carries with it the idea of courage. Now think about that. So it isn't enough to just be moved on by compassion, but we also need to be moved by compassion to have enough courage to do something about what actually moves us. Many of you might recall a very popular movie a few years back. The storyline was about a white, wealthy couple uh, by the name of uh, uh, Tui. And Sean Tui had been helping with basketball practice at a local high school when his attention was caught by this large, young, black teenager. And he began to buy him lunch. And during Thanksgiving break, Sean and his wife were driving down a street and they saw this young man getting off of a city bus wearing shorts, even though it was snowing outside. And Sean Tui's wife uh, said, he looks homeless and he looks helpless. And so the woman convinced her husband to stop the car and help this young man. And this young man was one of 13 children who was born to a mother who was hooked on crack. He grew up in the Hurt Village housing project in Memphis, Tennessee. Through the ninth grade, he'd been to 11 schools and he had a 0.6 GPA. And this woman said, he just looks like he needs a hug. That's what she said to her husband about him. And so they stopped the car and they took this young man into their home. They adopted him in 2004. They cared for him. They watched over him. They encouraged him. And ultimately, they sent him to Ole Miss and they paid for his college education. And that young man's name is Michael Orr. He is now a six foot five, 318 pound NFL retiree who was a first round pick by the Baltimore Ravens in the 2009 NFL draft. He's played for three NFL football teams and made over $40 million in his career and is already retired. Why? They were moved to the point of taking action. And that movie was called The Blind Side. Now, when I rehearsed that story again, this week, I had to stop and ask myself a question. And that question was this, would I do that or would I be scared? Angie and I have taken over the years a few different teenagers out of the church into our home that needed to be taken into, into a home and cared for. We've done that, but we've never taken somebody off the street, somebody that we didn't know. Would I do that or would I be scared? Would I be hardened? Would I be suspicious and cynical of them? Am I willing to do more than cry? Am I willing to pull over the car and stop and help change somebody's life? 
The second question I want us to ask ourselves today is, do you take time for people? My goodness, we live in a society where time is something that hardly nobody has any of. Everybody's always in a hurry. And uh, I want you to ask yourself this morning, are people just an inconvenient interruption in your life? Do we sometimes hurry past the very ones that God has called us to minister to? Every time in the book of Acts, when I rehearse the story of Peter and John, when the Bible said that they were on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer, as they approached, there was a lame man laying by the gate, and he was begging alms or money of those who entered the temple. And Peter said to him, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give it unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the the Bible said that that man began jumping and leaping and praising God. But you know what I think about every single time I read that story? In your life this past week, spiritually speaking, how many lame people did you pass on your path to where you was going? How many lame people, spiritually lame people, did you go right past? Do we hurry right past sometimes the very ones that God has called us to minister to? Or do we, this might preach to some of us, do we hide out behind closed doors? Right? Do we rush into our garages that have automatic doors and put the door down before the neighbor comes over to talk? Right? Or do we slow down long enough to really see people, talk to people, and become involved with people? I want you to take it a moment right now and ask yourself this question. Who, ask yourself this question. Whose life am I intimately involved with who isn't a Christian or doesn't attend church? If your answer is no one, we're missing the call. We should find somebody and seek out somebody. Thirdly, ask yourself the question, do you touch people? Now, for those of you who aren't huggers... You're nervous inside right now. But have you noticed that our society has become a hands-off society? We even talk about, I can't even believe we, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought, I'm going to quit saying that there's a touchless receptacle in the lobby. Because we quit passing an offering plate because of what? COVID-19. Everybody gets scared. Nobody wants to touch nobody. And even at church, people now, thank God, people are coming back to church. But even at church, people are so careful about avoiding touch. And I realize, I do realize that some people have compromised health and all that. And in today's society and climate, you need to be wise. You need to be extremely careful. But I want to tell you something. I also know, and I did some research this week uh, to back up what I felt like I knew. But I also know that people need to be touched. People need to be physically touched. Do you know that our touch can bring hope and encouragement to somebody else? A hug, some of you just went, <laughs> a hug can bring safety and peace to other people. Did you know that scientists have discovered that the amount of body contact in our lives plays a vital role in our mental and physical development as infants? Did you know that? I observe on a weekly basis our staff here with uh, the babies in the nursery, in the infant room. They're constantly holding, nurturing, loving. Scientists say that that plays a vital role in the mental and physical development of infants. But it also plays a vital role in our happiness and vigor as adults. 
Touch influences our ability to deal with stress and pain, uh, to form close relationships with other people. And listen to this. It even helps us fight off disease. Various studies have shown that when someone else, listen to this, gently holds the wrist of another person, their heartbeat slows down and their blood pressure declines. One study even showed that children and adolescents that were hospitalized for psychiatric problems show remarkable reductions in anxiety levels and positive changes in attitude when they receive a brief daily back rub. All right, men, there's your excuse to tell your wife, I need a back rub tonight. Or ladies, by the same token, tell your husband. Jesus, though, was, if you read the story of Jesus and the life of Jesus, he was constantly reaching out and touching someone, or somebody else was constantly touching him. He lived a touchy life. Did you know that the word touch is used 29 times in the New Testament in reference to Jesus' ministry? He touched men, women, children, healthy folks, sick folks, and yes, even dead folks. And I want to tell you this morning, we must as well. People need to be touched. Do you know that your hug, your embrace, your pat on the back could be the difference that relieves somebody else's anxiety or depression? Did you realize that? Did you know that most of the time when people are battling depression, the number one thing that's going on in their mind is that nobody knows and nobody cares. And something just as simple as a hug that says, I care about you, makes a difference in somebody else's life. Now, I'm about to make y'all real uncomfortable. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and just either shake their hand, give them a pat on the back, or a big hug, whichever you feel comfortable with. And I hope some huggers hug some non-huggers this morning. Brian Fox enjoyed that way too much for some reason. But anyway, listen, I want to tell you this morning, though, it's good to do that inside the church, but it's even better to do that outside these four walls. There are people that you come into contact with every day that just need compassion. Number four, have you healed anyone lately? You may say, what kind of question is that? I don't have the power to heal anybody. And I know that we often talk about Jesus healing people and we think about those incredible jaw-dropping miracles that he performed. And although scripture is abundantly clear that we should be involved in that aspect of healing, yes, I believe that we should pray the prayer of faith until there is absolutely no longer a possibility for something to happen. James said, if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray the prayer of faith over him, anointing him with oil. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. That's what the word tells us to do. I believe that we should pray that prayer of faith. I believe that sometimes we'll pray that prayer and people will be miraculously healed because Jesus even said himself in the scripture, he said, you will do greater things even than I have done. And we know a time after time after time where Jesus healed other people. But that's not the only kind of healing I'm talking about. I wonder if we have healed anyone lately of other kinds of sickness. Have we Help to heal somebody else of depression, of loneliness, of stress, of anger, of hate, 
or a fear. Maybe we don't see those eye-popping, jaw-dropping miracles as much anymore because we never even heal the common, overlooked, ignored diseases and sicknesses that we come into contact with on a daily basis. God has called us to do the work of healing for other people. So ask yourself the question, whose life have I helped to heal lately? Whose life have I impacted and changed? Whose frown have you turned into a smile? Whose head have you lifted? Whose heart have you rescued? Whose nerves have you calmed? Whose tears have you dried? And the last question I want to ask you about people this morning is, have you died for anyone lately? You may say, that's a more bizarre question than healing. Jesus said, no greater love hath any man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Now, I know that Jesus died literally and physically on the cross. And the day may come that we're called to do that as well. Now, listen, in most denominations, Baptist, Church of God, most all denominations, we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. That means that we believe we're going to be, the church is going to be called away before the tribulation begins. In the Mountain Assembly Church of God and some other movements, they believe in the mid-tribulation rapture. And then in some of the holiness and all of some of those other movements, they believe in the post-tribulation rapture. I can tell you. Uh, I was raised Baptist and I came into the church of uh, Pentecost when I was 16 and into the church of God uh, about 14 years later, so around 30. I came into the church of God and I can tell you I've done a lot of study. And and I even talked about this morning at 845 how that Brother Benny Fields, who was a a retired pastor that, that went to church here until he went home to be with the Lord, had a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge in the Word. I've had conversations with him and people that are way above me in theology uh, about our belief. And I believe that uh, I can prove to you that the church will not be a post-tribulation rapture. Somebody say, thank God for that. But I can't promise you that in the Baptist and in the church of God, we're 100% correct that it'll be a pre-tribulation rapture. There's enough uh, evidence and revelation that there's a possibility the church might be here for just a little bit of the tribulation. And if the time were to come that you had to give your life for your faith, would you be willing to do it? But my real question to you this morning is... Have you died lately on a daily basis? Have you died to yourself? Have you died to your will and your rights and your wants? Have you put somebody else first lately? Whether you go to this church or another church, I want to tell you something this morning. When you do what the scripture says, and that that is to not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Did you know the scripture told you that? Not to think more of yourself than you should. But to always prefer your brother or your sister over yourself. Can I tell you that if you practice that in your life, do you know how much room that leaves you to be offended in the church? Big fat goose egg. None. If I prefer my brother over myself, then I don't have room for me to get offended at my brother. Are you with me this morning? we got to learn to die to self in order to effectively do the work of the ministry of the kingdom of God. Can I hear an amen? We have to learn to die to self, put somebody else 
first. John 3 and 30 says, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Galatians 5, 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Listen, our ability to remain rooted to people really comes down to a heart condition. In order to love people, we must have the heart of Jesus operating and beating within us. And it's normal for, as a pastor for me to tell you that you should love other people. But sometimes what we fail to tell you is that it can be hard. Some people can be hard and almost impossible to love. Can I hear an amen now? In our own ability. But through the eyes of Jesus. See, aren't you glad that sometimes we get put out with people? Aren't you glad when you look back over your life, God never got put out with you? And he was long-suffering and merciful with you. When we look through the eyes of Jesus, we'll see it differently. Could it be that the secret to loving is receiving? You give love by first receiving love. 1 John 4 and 19 says we love each other because he loved us first. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 said that we should imitate God. You know when your children are little, they imitate you as adults. As children of God, we should imitate God. We should try to act like him in everything we do because we are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, which was a pleasing aroma to God. Do you want to learn how to forgive? Then maybe consider how you've been forgiven. It's easier to show mercy to others when you remember the mercy that's been shown to you. Ephesians 4 and 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Max Lucado said this. He's one of my favorite writers. He was correct when he said, The secret to loving is living loved. Many people tell us to love, but only God gives us the power to do so. All I'm saying is that because you are loved... Become somebody that's moved by those who maybe don't feel loved. Because you are loved, take time for somebody else who don't feel loved. Because you are loved, touch somebody who doesn't feel loved. Because you are loved, heal somebody who doesn't feel love. we got to stay rooted to people. Let me say this and I'll move on. We are here for people. Can I hear an amen? I said we are here for For people. You are here not for yourself, but for people. We have to be more concerned about people than we are about our programs. We got to be more concerned about people than just doing church. It's good to do church, it's good to have a wonderful service. But if all we do is church and we don't stay connected to people, then we are missing what God has called us to do. Sure, I love a good spiritual church service, but what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Uh, In the book of Acts, the word said uh, that on the day of Pentecost, we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. On the day of Pentecost, they were the 120 were gathered together in the upper room. They were praying and seeking the Lord. And suddenly, there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, what's the purpose of the Holy Ghost? Is it so that we can shout and speak in tongues and make a lot of noise in church? Nope, that's not the purpose. Sometimes that may happen. But in Acts chapter, I believe it's 1 and 8. He said, but you shall receive 
power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What's the power for? And you shall be my witnesses in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What's the purpose in coming to the house of God to be filled with the power so that we can take the power of God outside these walls and be witnesses and win the loss to the kingdom of heaven? You know, there's a saying, sometimes people say, my four and no more, right? And a lot of churches, we've adopted a saying of my 40 and no more. And then in some places, we even get to the point where we say my 400 and no more. But can I tell you something this morning? I got a news flash for those of y'all, some of y'all that might say, I like the church small. I've actually had people say that to me before. You know what my answer always is? You ain't going to like heaven. Because if the only people going to heaven is those 40 people in that church, we all missing a big old boat. God never intended for the church to be small, folks. It's going to get quiet right now for just a minute. I won't take long. It's 12:20. God never intended for the church to be small. After the day of Pentecost, when Peter, of all people, we talked about Peter a few weeks ago, got up and preached the message of the gospel, the Bible said 3,000 souls, boom, were added to the church right then. 3,000 souls. And that's in Acts chapter 2. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 5, there was 5,000 people in the church. From day one, the church was a mega church. Can I tell you, I don't care if we have to bust out walls, build new buildings, whatever we have to do. Our goal should always be every time we assemble together, every time we pray, every time we have a worship service, is God give us one more soul for the kingdom. We got to be concerned about people. We got to get connected to people and stay connected to people. And now I'm going to talk about place very quickly. And they can go ahead and come to the music while I talk about place real quick. Jesus wasn't just moved by people, he was also moved by place. I read to you from Luke chapter 19 where Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem and he actually begins to weep over the city. The Greek word for wept there is klio, which means to weep, to cry, to bewail. In other words, Jesus automatically just burst into sobbing tears when he topped the hill going into Jerusalem. And I want you to think about that for a moment. He was so moved by the condition of a city that he literally began to just bawl his eyes out. He was rooted to that place he loved that place he was connected to that place folks have you examined the condition of our city lately do you understand that we have been divinely established and placed in this city for such a time as this in fact when we were planning this church we were challenged the statement was made by some friends and acquaintances, that's been almost nine years ago, but the statement was made that Corbin didn't need any more churches. It already had enough. Really? Look around you. Are there empty seats this morning? Is every church in Corbin filled to capacity? Are there still people around the four walls of the church that are dying and going to hell? Is the city really better off because of the number of churches it already has I want you to think about it and I don't say this to brag on us I say this to brag on God we had already seen well over a hundred souls added to the kingdom from the time we planted this church until we moved to this location and that's been eight and a half years but in just the last seven and a half months we've seen over 20 people accept Jesus
We baptized 22 people. We're rooted to this place. And I'm reminded of a phone call that I received from a dear friend and a well-known lady in this community when she heard that we had bought this building. She's not, not that it matters, but she's not a Pentecostal woman by denomination. It just kind of took me by surprise a little bit because actually she's a Baptist lady and I was raised Baptist. And when she called me, she was obviously, very obviously, feeling the spirit of the Lord so strong as she said, Sean Disney, this was right after we bought this building at auction. She said, God is about to show you why he is placing your church right in the middle of this city. And then she went, whoo, like that. And I was like, am I, am I talking to who I think I'm talking? Like, I pulled over the truck. I was like, God's about to say something to me right here. The Spirit of the Lord was all over her when she said that. Listen, I want to tell you something. I'm thankful for this place. Not only did God save us not that it matters, but it does matter that God saved us millions of dollars by this facility. But can I tell you, after God placed us right here, compared to the facility we were going to build, that is. After God placed us right here, do you know our outreach team knocked on over a hundred doors less than a quarter of a mile from this building a few Sunday afternoons ago and most of the people that responded told them they did not go to church anywhere. You can throw a rock and hit three churches on this street from our parking lot. And they didn't go anywhere. Can I tell you, we must be moved by the condition of our city. I believe God wants us to impact the tri-counties and go beyond this city, yes. But listen to me. I don't believe that God's going to bless us to do that if we're going to ignore and overlook the people right in our back door. Hello, somebody. We should be moved by our city. The same thing that moved Jesus should move us. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 said, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Can I tell you that this world is blinded, but God can remove the blinders. The gospel of Jesus Christ can remove the blinders. We ought to weep over the blindness. Can I tell you? The drug addiction in our city, and it's here, is caused by blindness. Same-sex marriages, don't get offended at me. If I die preaching it, I'm going to preach the truth. Same-sex marriages are caused by blindness. Alcoholism is called, caused by blindness. Abuse of any kind, physical or verbal. I once counseled somebody that told me they didn't hit her. But I said, the way that you talk to her, God does not expect her to sit under. Say amen, somebody. Abuse of any kind, suicide, it's all caused by blindness. And we've been placed here for a reason. And Luke 4 said that reason is for us to help give sight to the blind. We have a divine assignment. We have been chosen to change this place. And I want to say this, and I'm going to close with this this morning. God has provided us a place. Freedom Point Church. He's provided us a wonderful facility right in the heart of this city to do the work of the ministry. And many people, when they look at this facility, they see a former educational facility. And as a matter of fact, a week from tomorrow, we're hosting an open house for the Corbin Independent School System and feeding them lunch here because so many people want to come see the renovation and, and, and they want to see this building. But when they look at it, they're reminded of an educational facility that used to shape and impact young lives with education. But can I tell you now, this place has a new purpose. Somebody say, praise God. 
And that new purpose is impacting and changing lives with the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It had a great purpose before, but that can't even be compared to the purpose that God has for it now. What did Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9 say? If you'll stand with me all over the room. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9 said, The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will give peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. So here's what I want to say to us today. If you're in this room today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, can I get a witness in the house this morning that will help me tell somebody Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life? You don't want to leave this place without accepting Him. The Bible teaches us that salvation is as simple as ABC. A, admitting that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. B, believing Jesus was the Son of God. He died on that cross for our sins. He was buried and rose again on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And then C, confess. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. It is that simple. Don't leave this place today without Jesus. But as they sing, I also want us to open. We do something around here that we call altar service. We open this altar for a time for all of God's people to come and pray and commune with Him. And I want this to be all of our prayer today. When they open this altar, particularly if you consider Freedom Point Church home, I want to ask you, find a place in this altar to pray this morning and say, God, help keep us open to people. All people. All people. Help keep us open to people. God, help us love people like you love them. Help us be moved by compassion for people, but also, God, for this place. And help us to recognize what it is that God wants to do in this place. I don't know about you, but I want to see that Haggai chapter 2, verse 9 come to life. The glory of this temple shall be greater than the glory of the former. And in this place, I'll bring peace. Do you need peace this morning? It's waiting on you at this altar.